0: This is a Triple J Podcast. Hello, welcome to Science with Dr. Carl. You may have seen in the news this week a lot of news about satellites. We find out how they manage to stay in orbit on this episode, plus answer all the questions that keep you up at night, like why can't we tickle ourselves? What makes a sticky surface sticky? Is it bad for your health if you don't orgasm for a while? I'm Ash McGregor. Let's get into it. Keen to get into your questions. We already have Matt from Adelaide Dr. on Matt. the line. Dr. Matt, you want to know about some off-milk?
1: Yeah, I, thought, I think I've always wondered, I thought I'd ask you, mm. if you've got some off-milk, could you boil it
0: and kill all the bacteria and make it safe to drink?
1: probably not. I first got interested in this when somebody was trying to prove that microwaves are bad for your health, you know, like the microwave ovens. Yeah. And remember how they were on about how 5G was going to kill us? And that's, oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, right, okay. And so what they did was they got some milk and they put it in a microwave and they boiled it for 15 minutes and they analysed it and they found that there were poisonous chemicals in it.
0: Oh, really? From the microwave?
1: Uh, from boiling it for 15 minutes. Okay. So, if you get milk on a stove and boil it for 15 minutes, you get the same chemicals. It doesn't matter how you heat up. If you get milk and you heat it for 15 minutes, you're making bad chemicals. So, you're not meant to boil milk? A little bit, and it's a gentle thing. And I'm yeah. talking about just letting it boil over and over and it starts to, I'm talking about letting it boil to the stage where it smells bad. Yeah. That sort but of stuff. But if stage. I
0: had off milk and then boiled it. It wouldn't. We wouldn't reverse it being off. It would still be.
1: There might be chemicals in there. So on one hand, to answer your question, um, would you kill the bacteria? In most cases, yes. Although the bacteria that from which they get um, Botox from mm. that'll survive 125 degrees. Mm. So, but that's a separate thing. But if the bacteria along the way have made bad chemicals, and if those bad chemicals are resistant to the high temperatures then boiling it wouldn't make it better. You'd still get crook if there are other chemicals there. And I don't know if they are, and I wouldn't do the experiment. But who came up with that question, by the way? Matt. 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 How did you come up with that? Something I've always wondered. You have a very inquiring mind, Dr. Matt. I love We love it, Matt.
0: Just don't go boiling milk, I think, is the answer there. We have Randall. Randall, Uh, satellites have been... In the news a lot, you've got a question for us yeah. around satellites,
1: Dr. Randall. Yeah, um, look, I've got this right-winger dude um, at work. I can't really escape him. Like, I don't know why, but the, the super right-wingers always seem to be conspiracy theorists. Ah, what's his conspiracy he, theory at the moment? The he does not one. believe in satellites at all. Ah, huh? okay, so and let's get it straight. He does not believe in satellites. What, he thinks that they're just yeah. held up there by balloons or something? No, nah, he thinks they're, they're drones and he, oh. he just comes up with all this stuff and I can't escape him because I work with him. Yeah, he's so just, what's, sorry, the question, uh, what's the question though? What's your question, um, Dr Randall? Yeah, well, what actually keeps them them like in orbit? Like ah, do they have like little boosts? Great question. Or, okay. Uh, now, yeah. Okay, so I, I stole this from Randall Munro and I'm going to tell you a very clever sentence and then I'm going to explain it. Okay. It's easy to get into space... Now think about the Virgin rocket and the, um, the Amazon one. they're quite small. Mm. It's easy to get into space, comma, but it's hard to stay there. And when okay. you look at the rockets that get you up into orbit where they stay it's a lot harder. So it's easy to go straight up, and you don't need it can be the size of a little 747 or a 320 or much smaller, and you go up to 100 kilometers, if that's your only goal. you can go up there and then you come down again. But if you want to stay there. You don't want to come down. So you want to be at a height where on one hand you're falling at the speed that the Earth curves away from you. Let me Mm. explain. At the International Space Station at 400 kilometres up, the gravity is not zero. It's 90% of what it is here on the ground. All right. Yeah, I mean, think about a basketball and then think about a a little fly maybe – a a centimetre, half a centimetre off the basketball. It's really close. It's not kilometres. I thought
0: it might be like way off in space. No, it's really close. It's
1: incredibly close. So um, the gravity is 90% and so every second the International Space Station falls four and a half metres towards the ground. Now here's the trick. It's going horizontally at very high speed at seven kilometres a a second and the Earth is curved. Okay, uh, disclaimer here. I have been bought off by Big Globe to say that the Earth is curved um, because there's all these people who say the Earth is flat. Okay. That's right. So the Earth is curved and in seven kilometres, it curves by four and a half metres. So each second, the astronauts fall four and a half metres towards the ground, but they're travelling horizontally and the earth falls away from them by four and a half metres. so it
0: equals out.
1: Yeah, so they're always the same distance Mm. from the earth. It's called free fall. Now, Mm. Randall, that's the science behind it, but trying to convince your friend is hard because I was having lunch the other day and somebody came up and said um, the earth is flat and they were saying the wall, but what about the Antarctic wall? And they said that there's... A uh, continuous um, uh, embargo or uh, a blockade by NASA under the oceans from stopping people to get to Antarctica. They've got submarines stopping people from getting Gosh, to Antarctica. While you're having lunch, while it's I'm a having problem. lunch, because and on the surface and in the air. And but I said, but I've been to Antarctica seven times. I said, you've been brainwashed and oh, hypnotized. You, you Carl, only think you've been to Antarctica.
0: Gotta take a look at yourself, uh, Randall
1: Adam. Um, but look, that, the one, but, but what, why is this um, satellite falling then? Oh, because um, of gravity. Gravity.
0: Gravity's pulling it gravity back towards sucks.
1: the Earth. So, does Go that on. mean like all of them are eventually going to fall down? No. no Every preserve. second it falls four and a half metres. Okay, you with me so far? Yeah, I'm, hard with num- I'm bad with numbers. but Yeah, I've but yeah, say the twice the height the of system. a human, right? Yep. Every second it falls three times the height of a human. But okay. in every second, it goes seven kilometers horizontally and the earth curves away by four and a half meters. Uh, yeah. The earth falls curve, away. Yeah. So he, they're yeah. always falling. Uh, okay, here's an ex- I came up with a way to uh, I try to invent anti-gravity. So what you do is you stand on a chair. This is a joke. You stand on a chair and you jump off and try to miss the floor. And if mm. you can miss the floor, you're levitating. Mm. I've tried this many times. I've never Doesn't failed. Work. But one day, one day.
0: Dr. Lewis is on the line. Lewis, what have you got for us? Um, so my question is, are symbiotes real?
1: Yes. Right. Uh, uh, okay, symbiote. what is a symbiote? Uh, so S-Y-M-B-I-O-T-E, and they have relationships that are called symbiotic, and they're normally between different species, and there's different types. So there's a mutual symbiotic relationship hmm. with the bees, and the plants. And so what the bees get is something sweet. They get nectar, a sugary thing. They get fuel. And they flitter from plant to plant. And they then do sex for the plants, so the plants get sex, mm. so the sperm and all that other sort of stuff. That's a wrong word; it's not sperm, but so that's a mutual mm. relationship. Then there's another one which is called a commensal relationship, where they don't really benefit, but they sort of hang out. And you might have a barnacle hanging on the bottom of a whale or oh, something. Oh yeah, it's like we you know when you see um
0: like whales and, or. If- or sharks go got those little sucker fish. Those yeah, little sucky fish that go with them. So
1: you know uh, what I mean. And, and normally they think that one creature benefits and the other mm. one doesn't. But with the sucker fish, they actually eat the food. They, they sometimes help clean the creatures around. Hang on, I'm just going to stop right there. Let's forget that one. Okay. And then the third one is a parasitic one where you have a ta- tapeworm and a tapeworm in you. It benefits and you don't, and long term, having tapeworms in your gut is bad, but in some cases, you, it can help with certain immune reactions, right. and it might be that some people have autoimmune reactions because they don't have tapeworms, so it can, you can actually, in America, buy tapeworms over the male system, really? and you'll take them, and people claim it'll cure everything from sunstroke to syphilis and varicose oh, veins and the line of your chakras and your kundalinis, and there can be harm and there can be good and you've sort of got to juggle it carefully and if you're not medically trained, you can go down a bad pathway. So, Dr. Lewis, uh, symbiosis is definitely real. Do you have a follow-up comment or question on something I just said?
0: Uh Yes. My other question is what happens if the world stops moving?
1: Okay, the world is spinning. Mm, Lots of questions. Okay, the world is a globe. So you two have also been bought off by Big Globe. And the world bulges at the equator by about 42 kilometres as compared to the distance up down, which is about 12,700 kilometres. So it's an extra 42 kilometres. Now that has been built up over about four and a half billion years, and that's mostly the solid stuff. But there's also water there. So just assume that over a period of, say, an hour or half an hour, the world stops spinning and at the equator is doing 1,600 kilometres an hour. You don't want to stop it straight away because people go flying off in all directions. But slow down gradually over, say, half an hour, the water would flow back from the equator
0: and by that you mean it would it
1: – Because it's pushed out there by centrifugal force. Oh,
0: so we would even out. Yeah, so so the water
1: would drop. The water is pushed out yeah. by eight kilometres. Right. Right. And it would flow back over, say, uh, six months or a week or something. As it turns out that the deepest part of the Earth on the equator is about five and a quarter kilometres. Mm. So it end up with a mountain range around the equator – um, a couple of kilometres high, and two different oceans, different sets of oceans to the north and the south. Mm. So, uh, Lewis, to follow this up, uh, go into your search engine, type in ABC, Dr. Carl, world, stop spinning, and, and you'll find it, an article I've written about it.
0: And if it did stop spinning, you know, one side would be in nighttime for oh, yes. ages and one time one side would be like burning in the sunlight, right? Yeah,
1: so you might have life existing only in a little twilight zone Where it'd be not too light and not too not not too hot and not too cold.
0: Lewis, great questions from you. Thank Thank, you for that. Thank
1: you, Doctor Lewis.
0: Jan and Hobart. Jan, Jan. Doctor Jan, what have we got? Hey, my question is: I just want to know why, in my social media news feeds, they're talking about the ocean conveyor belt stopping next week. Even what does that even mean, and why would that? I'm have not pay? across this, so Dr. Okay. Carl, can you explain to me what so, this is?
1: So the the oceans are most of the surface of the planet. Right. By itself, the Pacific Ocean is bigger than all of the land put together. The oceans make up seventy percent of the surface of the planet. So somebody made a mistake and they should have called it Planet Water instead of Planet Earth or Rock.
0: Yeah, who did this? Okay, I'm going to write a stern letter to the editor later.
1: Now... Uh, down at the South Pole, you've got the Antarctic and you've got the Southern Ocean joining the Indian Ocean and the Pacific Ocean and the uh, Atlantic Ocean. At the top, you've got the, and the Arctic Sea. Uh, is it the Arctic Sea or the Antarctic Ocean? I forget which. It's one of those. Mm-hmm. And it's only joining the Atlantic and the Pacific. Now there's currents going around the earth. So to chase this up further, Jan, go to Wikipedia and look up thermo. T-H-E-R-M-O, haline, H-A-L-I-N-E, current. And it's a current that goes around the Earth carrying chunks of water the size of continents every second. Wow. And if you imagine it sort of starting off near the equator in the Atlantic, so it's getting hot from the sun, it heads north. It keeps Europe and America... Uh, warm on the Atlantic thing, goes up into the Arctic and chucks the U in, comes down. And what we're worried about is something that's happened in the past, where if the ice melts, you get this fresh water coming into the ocean, and that fresh water pushes the thermohaline current further towards the equator. So suddenly, the warming water does not kiss the Atlantic coasts of America mm. and Europe. And so suddenly they go cold. In a warming world, they go cold because they miss that warm current. So there is a current in the Arctic which joins the Pacific and the Atlantic. And we haven't been measuring it a lot, but it does seem that it's wavering a bit. Is it going to stop next week? No, 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 they're lying to you about that. But this is caused by global warming, which the insurance companies recognized in 1980. Uh, 73 and the fossil fuel companies in 1982, and we can reverse it with today's technology. Okay, uh, but uh, it, it could happen. But almost certainly but you're won't.
0: saying that this has happened in the past where ha- the current has stopped.
1: Yes. Yeah, so uh, and oh, what oh, happened then? Bad things. Oh, well, uh, not not necessarily bad things because there weren't many humans around. So over the last three million years, we've had these ice ages come and go. Mm. And they come typically for 100,000 years where the ice is three kilometres thick over Montreal. (laughs) Whoa. Right? And the ocean level... Which is where the water comes from to make this ice is a hundred meters lower, mm. and so um, th- then you got about twenty thousand years of non-ice age. So the ice ages come and go, and so it has changed dramatically. But we have not had eight billion people on the planet with about two thirds of them within fifty kilometers of the coast, that's and true. that's the thing that we are upsetting the, the economy the way it is. So look. We can fix it. The good news is we can fix it. Read my book, Dr. Carr's Little Book of Climate Change Science We and go to, um, uh, what's it called, drawdown.org. Mm. Uh, we can fix it.
0: Jan, great Th- question from you. I've learnt a lot from that one. That's a brilliant answer. So uh, I shouldn't put it in my calendar for next week. <laughs> good, yeah, write that uh, one off.
1: Yeah, drawdown.org, check them out.
0: That's right. Luke Inouye. Dr. Luke. <laughs> Luke Inouye. You've got another question about the ecosystem and the globe. I do. Thank you, Dr. Carl. Um, My question is, uh, are deserts
1: important for the global ecosystem like the rainforest is? Yes and no. Uh, So you've got the sun shining on the earth and at the top of the atmosphere... It's delivering about 1,361 watts per square meter. And then that gets smeared out over a larger surface area as you go towards the poles. So it heats up the equator a lot. And then the air rises full of moisture. And as it rises, it loses that moisture. And then the air splits north and south. So you've got the heavy rains at the equator and then the air goes north and south and it falls down to the ground at around 20 degrees from the equator. And that's where the the deserts are. They're roughly 20 degrees from the equator north and south. And they are part of the ecosystem and have their own ecosystem which doesn't have the same biomass per square metre or per square kilometre and it doesn't have the diversity of the rainforest, but they are nevertheless in what we've got now. They're important, and they change during an ice age. Mm. So, they—I I, I don't know if I've answered your question there. Dr. But you know Reed? how
0: people go like, "Oh, if eighty percent of the rainforests in the world disappeared, then we would be doomed. If eighty percent of the deserts in the world disappeared." We, wouldn't, we would still be doomed, right?
1: Uh, not necessarily because they don't produce a huge amount of biodiversity, but they okay. are part of the ecosystem. But, uh, but like in the oceans, we, we get half of our oxygen from the oceans and that was the worry with the ozone layer. So it would harm the – it would change the ecosystem, but it wouldn't be as bad as losing the rainforest, I think. Okay. Luke, does that answer your question? Is that kind of helping a bit, Luke? You got to follow it, up? it does. It, it, it was does. more like uh, what
0: you said before. It was like uh, if we got rid of all the deserts, would it actually matter? Uh, mm. but I feel like rainforests yeah. more important, yeah. but still, it would make a change. W-
1: there, there would be definite changes. Yeah. So, Thanks, okay. Dr. Thank Luke. You, Dr. Luke. Thank you, Dr. Luke.
0: Dr. Lauren on the Central Dr. Coast. On the Central. What have you got for us? Hello. Well, look. This a couple of weeks ago. Um, my seven-year-old daughter, Adelina, who's a very curious young girl, as seven-year-olds are. One of the questions she asked me was, "Mummy, uh, why doesn't it tickle when I tickle myself, but when someone else tickles me, it really does tickle? And I said, well, I don't know the answer to that, but I bet Dr. Carl... Would and she said, Well, who's Dr. Carl? And so, since you know, we've introduced her to Dr. Carl, uh, and I've finally been able to call up and ask you the question.
1: Ah, when you try to tickle yourself, the it, it goes you know that you're tickling yourself immediately in zero time, and you it goes via your cerebellum, which is involved with coordination. So, if you've ever seen a drunk person walking, you'll see they've got their legs. Apart, and that's called a wide-based gate, and that's the cerebellum. And the cerebellum knows that you are tickling yourself, and you don't have that little time delay before appreciating it. If you get a machine, and you and you put your fingers in it, and then point two of a second later, the fingers move. You can tickle yourself if you put in a two-tenths of a second delay between you moving your fingers and your flesh feeling that, you can tickle yourself. And this is a way for you to get fabulously wealthy. Introduce a toy that will be sold over one Christmas, which has no other function than to tickle yourself. Release it in large numbers around the world, and next (laughs) Christmas everybody else will do it. But if you can be first. who wouldn't
0: want that?
1: I would like to tickle myself if, if you could make it for say two dollars. I'd try it. Oh my god, I can tickle Who myself.
0: Who doesn't love a good tickle giggle? Absolutely, yeah, that's <laughs> right,
1: Laura. Okay, so <laughs> this is a time delay. So you've got to add, add that point two of a second. Somebody's have done the experiment, and if you have that point two of a second time delay, you can tickle yourself.
0: Sam, Doctor Sam, this is a bit of a head scratcher, your one.
1: Yeah, good day, Doctor. Sean, sorry. Know,
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah. Look, Doctor, I just wanted to know. What creates a sticky surface? For example, um, silicon and glue. What creates that chemical reaction to get that stick to the product?
1: Um, if you ask the industrial chemists about how superglue works, they tell you that they don't really know. So I've gone back to the words of um, Richard Feynman, which are, is that everything is made of atoms, comma, which if they're too close together, repel each other, and if they're too far apart, attract each other. And it goes back to the electron shell there. Sean, did you do atoms at school?
0: Um, yeah, briefly. I wouldn't, I wouldn't remember too much, but yes,
1: I do understand the concept. Yeah, so you've got a central lumpy bit, which is positive, and then lots of empty space, mm. and you've got this sort of shell of negative electrons. you got that much? So it's kind of like a mini solar system. Mm. Do you remember that yeah. bit, Sean?
0: Yeah, I do briefly. (laughs) Okay.
1: So you've got one atom and it's got all these negative electrons around it and you've got another atom and it's got all these negative electrons around it and you think, well, all they should ever do is repel each other. But, but, those electrons, if you've got a bunch of them, they're not evenly distributed. Sometimes there's, if you look at a single atom, sometimes there's more on one side than the other. So it's kind of... Slightly positive compared to the rest of it. They're both negative, but one's more negative than the other. And if you have two identical atoms, and the you got one bit with more electrons and one bit with less tr- electrons, it's sort of like a positive-negative thing, and they attract each other. And that's called a van der Waals. V-A-N, and the new word D-E-R, new word Waal. W double A-L, look it up in Wikipedia, a van der Waals force. So that's what Richard Feynman meant was that when they're too close, they repel each other. So overwhelmingly the negative electron clouds repel each other, but then they attract each other because you have an imbalance. They're not evenly negative all the way around. Mm. And this is what the... um, What's that little reptile lizard that makes a noise that can run up your wall? Gecko. A gecko. The only lizard makes a noise. And what they've got is four legs. And at the end of each leg, they've got toes. And they keep on dividing down and down and down into smaller and smaller structures until they end up with structures that are literally an atom thick.
0: Really? At the end of a gecko's
1: foot? Yeah. And so a gecko can run through water through oil, through dirt, through sand and then climb up your ceiling onto your wall and stick to it. Whereas if if you get any masking tape and try to do that with the oil and the water and the sand, forget it. So there's a kind of an atomic thing causing the attraction. Wow. Um, And then you can see this in bits of metal that they call gauge blocks that fitters and turners have, uh, G-U-A-G-E blocks, and they're super smooth bits of metal, and they come in definite lengths, like there's two centimetre and five and seven and nine, and and if you want to get a length, you put them together, and you just put the bare ends, you keep them in a special... Cloth, yeah, you know, strong box, and then you take them out and you wipe the surface clean because always you're not allowed to get get let them get rusted, not even once. And they're dead flat; they are as flat as we can make it with money. Mm. And so you buy these things and you wipe them clean and you put them together and then you just sort of rotate and shove them together and you can't pull them apart they are stuck together by atomic forces wow wow so that's That's kind of what's going on with glues sean you've got atoms sticking to other atoms is that kind of helping dr sean
0: yeah absolutely i've I've just always wondered because i'm a plumber and i use a lot of silicones
1: and glues and Mm. like
0: you said it does have to be a clean surface otherwise it won't make contact with the product and i thought well when it dries up, it's kind of like a rubbery sort of material, but rubber itself, when it's made is sticky, and I thought, well, what's in silicon and glue? And it, uh, it makes sense to have that um, mm-hmm. those atoms, and that's what creates that. stick. definitely and then, answered my question. Yeah,
1: Dr. but Carl. another thing that can happen is that you can have at the surface with a silicon rubber, it gives off vinegar, and that's why you smell vinegar as it cures, and then that sets off a chemical reaction which then bites into and marries the surface, and you can, for plumbing, buy special... Do you use a special non-acid cure silicon rubber?
0: Yeah, we do. We, for kitchens and bathrooms, we use NutriCure, and uh, then we use a separate one for roof
1: mate, and gutter. I, I, I fell in love with silicon rubbers a long time ago. But anyway, thank you so much, Dr. Sean. No worries.
0: Thanks, thank Dr. You, Dr. Sean. Thank you. Nikki, Coffs Harbour, this is a question I read earlier today that happens to me. What is it? What? Wow. Hi, doctors. Thanks Dr. for uh, letting
1: me call in. So since I was little I get really excited around animals and even still to this day I'll be like patting them and I get really excited like lots of joy and the back of my throat and roof of my mouth like feels like I have butterflies like it vibrates mm. and gets really fluttery and I've always wondered what it is
0: and I've asked my psychologist and she's like I've got no idea.
1: <laughs> ah. So,
0: yeah I have no idea what it is but it's happened since I was gosh maybe like three or two. Has this happen happened to you Dr happened. Carl?
1: Not to me, but I have heard of people having it.
0: Yeah, it's like not a tickle. It's like it is fluttery.
1: So what, what do you yeah. feel? It's kind yeah. of like I'll be just pat, patting like a dog or like any animal and I get really excited and then like I feel this flutter, like tickle in the back of my throat and roof of my mouth. Ah, can I ask you, does this happen, and this is a fairly unlikely thing, when you pat a ferret? Oh, I can't say I've ever pat one. Ah, because the reason I'm asking is that – with people who love animals but who unfortunately are sensitive to their dander or the chemicals they give off, um, people recommend having a ferret, which is, wait for it, hypoallergenic.
0: Huh.
1: If you sure. are, right? So it would be interesting if you could do the experiment for us, Dr. Nikki, and on one occasion pat a ferret and let us know what you find because it could be that you're having an allergic reaction via your immune system. So there there can be proteins in the animal dander, the, the stuff coming off the saliva, the urine, whatever, that people are allergic to. And then you produce histamines. This doesn't happen to everybody, doesn't happen to me. And this can cause various symptoms such as itching and tickling and sneezing and nasal congestion. And either this happens to you every single time or it happened to you years ago and your immune system has changed but you've remembered that and you do it even though you're not having the immune reaction so both are possible so yeah so if it's the second one you might be able to convince yourself out of it if it's bothering you via something like cognitive behavior therapy but if it's no big deal just stay with it but i would really love it if you'd pat a ferret for me yeah, I will. I've had a ferret. I'm sure there's plenty around coughs. <laughs> okay. But, 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 but please don't Report get bitten back. by the ferret and please don't sue the ABC if you get bitten <gasps> by the ferret and then die a horrible death. Okay.
0: Oh, no, I won't. I won't. I'll give it a go and let you know. Thank Thanks, you. Nikki. Thank you, Dr. Larissa. Dr. Dr. Larissa, What's Welcome. going on with your nose? Hello. Thank you, guys, for taking my call. Um... Why, I'm wondering, in the mornings when in, when you wake up, first thing, is your nose all full of snot and
1: crusty crap when throughout the day normally it's fine? So why does that happen? Um, you're always creating um, stuff from the nasal glands and mm. it may be that they're overactive. So you've got all these glands in your nose which keep your nose moist and the purpose mm. of that is so that by the time the air gets to the back of your, or gets into your lungs, it is 100% humidified and clean and at 37 degrees C. And the moisture is part of that. So you might have something like a post-nasal drip that's going on at Mm -hmm. night. There could be allergens in your bedroom. Like when you go to bed at night and you just get into the bed, do you have just like a, a couple of coughs? Not really. Because no. some people do and they, they can Thanks. be allergic to that. Also, you can have like the air might be drier in the room so your nose compensates by manufacturing okay. more moisture and then running away. Or you could have something like allergic rhinitis which sometimes can be worse at night but sometimes not. So it'd be worthwhile... Any time you go to see your GP for a grease and oil change, just to mention this to them and see if they can isolate it. Is it really bothersome? Do you end up with crusty stuff that hurts and itches on your nose in the daytime?
0: Oh no, not really. Not, but not to that extent. I just thought it was normal. So it's not normal. Not everyone has that. That's something.
1: Well, we all have different variations. Like about fifteen to twenty percent of the population are naturally immune to COVID. Just like you, yeah. Must be me because I've never had it. So <laughs> ah, no, nice, Larissa. Lucky you. Yeah, look
0: okay, at you she go. Did. We're going to get into one about orgasms. Holly, Doctor Holly, tell us what's the gossip. <laughs> oh, hello. Um, I just wanted to find out what the importance of orgasms are for our body and our mental health, and if things are a little bit quiet on that side of things, um, should we? Actually, do more like masturbating or and if there's any sort of um long-term effects on not orgasm, because it's obviously such a natural thing to do. So if you're not not having orgasms much or, you know, having having a bit of a you know slow period or something. You know what I mean? Um, mm. Yeah, should you be sorting that that out um, so
1: that yeah? Mm. I don't know. Yeah, well, it's a good <laughs> point you've raised. It's not just evil terrorists that have orgasms, but regular people have them, and they can be involved with making babies, which is also regular as well. So sex is nothing bad. So definitely, uh, there's a stress relief. If you look at the home pages about, they'll say they release endorphins, mate. There's a million chemicals, right? There's no doubt that a good orgasm has good stress relief, and then that's related to an improved mood. And if it's a really good orgasm, you're getting a mixture of exercise and a bit of pelvic floor strengthening. There's nothing wrong with having a stronger pelvic floor, and also that can lead to a better sleep. Mm. In some cases, people who have a little bit of chronic pain, like a sore, sore shoulder, will find that it can go away after a different orgasm. Um, if you're doing it by yourself you're getting those benefits but if you do it with another person you get the intimacy and bonding and it does seem that we humans do do better if we connect with another person or persons and we have some sort of connectivity as well as as part of having a a healthy lifestyle. And if you can do it so you're very athletic, you get a bit of cardiovascular exercise as well. So definitely I would come down firmly in favour of more orgasms rather than fewer. If I had a choice between more or less, I'd go for more.
0: Absolutely. Amen. But Um, if you're in a dry spell... Don't worry, it's not going to ruin your
1: health. That's right. And <laughs> masturbation's is good. It keeps things running. Uh, that's a really vague thing, keeps things running. I would. Yeah. I don't want to yeah. get into trouble here, but I'll just say yes. Yes.
0: Holly, yes. go for it. Go for it. Dr. Stacey in uh, Melbourne, you've got a question about your arm here.
1: Yes, hello. Dr. So Stacey, was, welcome. Yeah. Thank you. I was looking at my arms yesterday and I noticed most of the The hair on my arms
0: is like light, browny, blonde. It's all like the same kind of like sparsity or thickness, whatever, and the same length. But then I have one hair that's like black and grows longer than all the other hairs.
1: What creates that or what is it? Um, There's about 100,000 hair follicles on your scalp. I don't know how many on your arms. And each hair follicle manufactures an individual hair shaft. So every single hair on your body is manufactured individually in a little factory. And the main job of that factory is extruding a shaft of a protein called keratin. But there's a sub-factory that injects dye into it. And the dye, there's two sorts of dyes. There's u melanin, e u. Melanin, M-E-L-A-N-I-N, and there's Pheomelanin, P-H-A-E-O, melanin, and they're controlled by similar genes, and every now and then it just swaps over. And we do not know why. As an example of things we don't know, we cannot still, we still can't explain why you can have a Scottish person with black scalp hair, a male, and red beard, Hmm. right? Yeah. And you'd think we'd know that sort of stuff. So all we can say is that the gene... Involved with the melon production has just gone a little bit down a different pathway and if it was a death-threatening thing and it happened to a lot of people, we would have worked it out and spent a lot of money and we'd know the exact reason but because it's only a minor cosmetic thing, although it's not minor, of course it's not minor, um, but you, you, so we haven't spent the time and money to work it out yet but it's definitely down, something to do with a gene going a little bit off which is a fairly non-technical term.
0: Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Science with Dr. Carl. If you like impressing your friends with all these random facts, make sure you're a part of the family. Hit that like button, hit that subscribe button, do whatever you got to do to be across when an episode drops. I'm Ash McGregor. This episode was produced by Sarah Harvey, and we'll catch you next week. Dave Marchese here from the Triple J Hack team. Hey, if you love Dr. Carl's podcast like I do, you might enjoy the Hack podcast as well. Each day, we bring you the news that matters to you, from the latest science on climate change to what's happening in politics and news around the world. The Hack Podcast. It's your daily fix of the news you need to know. Get it wherever you're listening now.